Rochester Life. Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works in all. But the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. We have been working our way through the um, letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And uh, in this letter, he has been addressing church problems. Um, various issues that were facing this church. This church that had uh, was positioned in a thriving city, a lot of things to do in that city, a lot of different kinds of people. And in this city, we had both religious folks and non-religious folks coming together, finding Christ. And whenever you put any groups of people together, much less people from varying backgrounds and perspectives, you're going to find um, church problems emerge. And so Paul addressed the issue of division, He's addressed issues related to sexuality. He's talked about freedoms and liberties that uh, you should determine to take. He's talked about differences um, that people would have in terms of gender. Um, and last week we talked about gender distinction and how men and women maybe would operate differently within the church. Today, we're going to be addressing an issue in the church that has become more and more challenging and more divisive, um, even in the last 115 years or so, um, as the Pentecostal church um, has emerged, has grown, um, has ruffled feathers. Um, and so here, we're going to be taking a look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Paul addresses the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm uh, yeah 12 13 and 14 and so we're going to be taking a look at um, excerpts from all three of those chapters today I just wanted to start off by sharing a little bit of my own experience with the Holy Spirit. Um, I did grow up in a, a Pentecostal church, a church where I heard people speaking in tongues, people praying for healing, um, messages in a prophetic way, um, all, all as I was a kid. And I remember I was taught uh, about the gifts of the Spirit. 
I was praying for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, even in my Royal Ranger class um, as a kid. I, I remember very distinctly, you know, praying that God would fill me with the gift of the Holy Spirit, that I would be able to pray in tongues. And uh, so I prayed for that, and that didn't happen for actually quite some time. But one time, um, I was away on a convention with the teenagers from my youth group, and it was a, an, an atmosphere. There was a lot of people, um, a lot of teenagers um, in this big auditorium. Um, there was worship going on. There was a lot of neat things happening. It was kind of a dark room, and I was up in the balcony. And I wasn't down front where a lot of other people were singing and that kind of stuff or praying and being prayed for. I was all by myself up in the balcony and I was doing some um, just, you know, self-examination. I was just worshiping and suddenly I had the experience where the Lord gave me the gift of speaking in other tongues as I was praying. I, I, I was so surprised because I've been praying for it. And then in this instance, it had happened. At that time, um, moving forward from there, I continued to pray, um, pray in the Holy Spirit. Um, I noticed that there was a distinct difference in my desire for holiness, my desire to live for God, um, my desire to be going to church. Um, there was a difference that took place. And I, I do kind of consider this the time that I made a, a, an official decision for Christ. And at that time, it also was accompanied with the filling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A few years later, I sensed God speaking to me about going into full-time ministry. And I have walked out this life for the last 30 plus years since that time um, with the, uh, the ability and the regularity of praying in tongues on my own. Um, a lot of times when I don't know how to pray, um, I will pray in the Holy Spirit. A lot of times when I'm preparing for uh, church on a Sunday morning or just going through the day, I will pray in the Holy Spirit. It's something that I really can't imagine living without. Um, this has been my experience. It's been mostly positive. There hasn't really been, um, you know, times where I felt, you know, uh, pressured or I felt um, like things got out of control in my own life. However, I've been in circles of people, different kind of settings, church settings, camp settings, where I do know that uh, things were not handled appropriately. People putting a lot of pressure on other people. Maybe uh, you have even been in a setting before where you felt like there was pressure for you to um, act a certain way or you were around people that were acting in a way that maybe felt uh, unbiblical or inappropriate and they called it spiritual and you maybe felt even judged or condemned or maybe less spiritual because you were not participating in the same way they were. Um, there has been plenty of moments where the flesh of an individual um, masquerading as a, a, a time where the gifts of the Spirit were operating um, cross lines and the flesh was there and the Holy Spirit probably wasn't there. Um, I today want to take a look and, and see what Paul had to say about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how they ought to be in operation, um, what we ought to be seeking as we endeavor to let God have His um, Lordship in our lives and that He would use us in all the ways that He wants to use us. The historical works of the Holy Spirit um, have has been interesting. Um, 
I, I'm just going to give you a brief aerial view of maybe what's happened historically with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Clearly, there were gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation um, in Paul's day. Um, they, that God had gifted men and women with uh, particular gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, healing and prophecies and miracles would be taking place. We see that as the churches uh, were, were emerging, after Jesus left this earth, we find that the apostles were used in powerful ways with signs and wonders, things that could not be explained away except for God doing it. <clears throat> and so... We certainly see, and, I, and probably nobody listening here would in any way debate whether the gifts of the Holy Spirit were in operation in the day that Paul lived, in the day of the, the original apostles. But over the years, um, and as we you know, contemplate the gifts of the Spirit, there are different opinions and perspectives based upon who you're talking to, what denominational background people come from, whether or not the gifts of the Holy Spirit should be in operation today. Um, some would say that as the apostles died um, and the initial church had got started, the need for the gifts of the Spirit um, diminished and therefore the gifts of the Holy Spirit also died. A lot of times we would refer to these as cessationalists, that the gifts ceased in operation. Some would maybe argue that um, there would be scripture that would support uh, when it said that in, in talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and that these would be imperfect expressions of God and that as and when the perfect would come, the imperfect, the gifts of the Spirit would fade away. And some would say, well, that means that when the Bible came into full existence, that that would be the perfect. And so we don't need to hear from God through prophetic messages, but rather we just hear from God through the Bible. Well, th this has been true. However, we do find um, in some original uh, writings back in the early centuries after the church was born, um, 100, 200, 300 AD, we find at least four different pieces of literature where people would speak about miraculous things happening in the name of Jesus, um, giving credit to the Holy Spirit, giving credit to a miracle taking place, a healing taking place, a prophetic word taking place. But there was not a ton written about the works of the Holy Spirit. In fact, after the time of Augustine and the time, I, I'm sorry, not Augustine. Yeah, well, and, and Constantine, there was a, uh, a time when the church and the state merged where a lot of the formality of the church began to take root. Um, there was um, a lot less reading of the scripture or of any scripture by anybody. And there was a lot more of just what was being told from the front. And really the gifts of the spirit really did kind of take a back seat. And especially the reporting of the gifts of the Holy Spirit um, were taking a back seat. There was not a whole lot written about. In fact, from like 300 all the way through to the early 1900s, there was very little written about the Holy Spirit and the works of the Holy Spirit. We started to see a lot more theology being developed um, when we got to the 1500s and the Great Reformation began to take shape. The Protestant church began to uh, you know, break off from the original Roman Catholic church and the uh, the Orthodox Church. And so we started to see some real statements about theology beginning to take shape. And still not a whole lot written about the Holy Spirit, but a whole lot written about salvation, sanctification, um, some of the practices and some of the things that were going on from the church. 
But something special happened in the early 1900s. In fact, 1906 is a lot of uh, Pentecostal churches and Pentecostal believers will look to God's special outpouring of Holy Spirit at that time. Um, we take we saw we see a, a great revival that took place in Azusa Street in California, and where there was a. a you know, God touching people in a very special way. And some of these gifts as outlined in first Corinthians and other parts of scripture seem to take hold and seem to come into full activity again. And since that time, there's been a lot of development. There's been um, a lot of things that have done in the name of the Holy Spirit, a lot of good things. There have been miracles. There have been prophetic messages given. But there are also and a lot of people being encouraged, people coming to Christ because of some of these signs and wonders. But we also have seen a lot of abuses and misinterpretations and people being hurt in the name of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So over the last 115 years, the ministry of the Holy Spirit has um, a lot of fans and has a lot of people that saying that is not from God. Would even call those who believe in the ministries of the Holy Spirit may be a part of a cult or outside of biblical interpretation. Well, today, I hope to inspire you on a pursuit of the Holy Spirit through an overview message of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And so today, we're going to have three main thoughts that complete this sentence, pursue spiritual gifts and then here's our point. And the first one I want to give you, pursue spiritual gifts with desire. Pursue spiritual gifts with desire. Um, let's read what 1 Corinthians 14, 39 says. It says, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues goes on to give some instruction from there. But you see here that, that, that Paul is instructing this word that there's a desire to earnestly prophesy. There's a desire to seek out what the Holy Spirit has in our lives, to be used by the Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 31 says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. You see, uh, Paul here gives a comparison in chapter 12 of the gifts, and he asks these uh, questions that really all have an answer, no. Do all speak in tongues? Do all prophesy? Do all, you know, and there's a big list of ver variety of miracles that he lists there in different gifts of the Holy Spirit. And no, not all have the same gift, the same way of, of being used by God under the empowering of the Holy Spirit. However, there is this 
He goes on to kind of describe the gifts of the Spirit and the way the Lord distributes the various gifts of the Holy Spirit throughout the church body, and he compares it to the human body. He talks about how, you know, is everyone a head? Is everyone an eye? Is everyone a, a foot or a hand? And, and we ought not to despise or to wish we were um, one of the other parts of the body, but rather we are to embrace God's work using each person just as he decides or that he determines that we've all are gifted um, in in the way in which God has desired and he encourages us to earnestly desire the best gifts well what does that mean does that mean that we ought to um, you know all try to use the same gift well certainly not because it gives us big explanation about we're all made up of different parts of the body and we all have different function so when he says earnestly desire the best gifts I think that he is encouraging us to eagerly desire the gifts that he desires or that he gives to us, that we would desire the gift that God has ordained for us, the ones that he picks for us. That, you know, we, we like this word gift that's involved with the gifts of the Spirit. And when you receive a gift, you don't determine what the gift is. Well, maybe some pushy people who tell everyone what they want. Maybe they determine what gift they get. But by and large, the person who gives the gift is the one who determines the gift. And so we need to trust the Lord with his plan and his gifting, um, his gift giving to us. And so when we desire and we set out with this desire for God to use us, we say, Lord, I want to trust you. I want to trust you that you determine what my gifts should be and how they get used in my life. One of the things when we talk about this desire spiritual gifts, pursue spiritual gifts with desire, is that we desire to be used by the Lord for the sake of edification. That we want to be a blessing to those who are around us. That's part of our desire. Lord, I want to be used by you. I want to be a blessing to my neighbors. I want to be a blessing to my friends. I want to be a blessing to my church. I want to edify those around me. And so that's a desire that's within us when we are seeking the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And when we step out and, and use God, when we say, Lord, direct me right now. And he puts within our heart to pray for somebody. He puts within our heart to speak a message of encouragement. He puts in our heart to serve someone in some way. These are the gifts of the Holy Spirit for the sake of edifying those around us. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the church? That we would have this desire that each one, as we come together in a corporate setting, for most of us, it's on a Sunday morning. Maybe for some of you, it's a Saturday night in your church context, but we come together. And when we do, we don't come so much to get as we do to give. We come equipped with a gift of the Holy Spirit. We come with a psalm. We come with a song in our heart. We come with a teaching. We come with a tongue. We come with a revelation. We come with an interpretation. See, we come together saying, Lord, how can I 
be used today? How can I be a blessing to others? So I want to challenge you, even this next week and the weeks to come, that in those moments you get to come together with your church family, that you do so not so much, boy, Lord, fill me up today. Lord, do you give me something today? But rather, Lord, give me something I can give. Help me to come in prepared. Help me to come in equipped to give a word of encouragement. Help me to come in equipped to have this scripture that God really spoke to me. And I think it's for someone else. I think it's for the whole church. Um, and we are ready to give it. We come. That's a desire within us to be a blessing where we go. Another way in which we desire the gifts of the Spirit is that we desire all that God legitimately desires for us. That we would desire that, God, all that you have for me to be used for you, all that you desire for me, I want that in my life too. And some of us um, don't have that openness. Some of us have fears in our way. Maybe we're afraid of being judged or looked at funny if we do something that's out of the norm. Um, and so this desire for God to legitimately give me all that he desires, we might hold that at arm's length. We might you know, turn a blind eye to what God's wanting to do. And here, we, there's a story in the book of Acts, and there's this heart that's really demonstrated in these new believers. And you know, Paul, uh, yeah, Paul asks a question to these new believers about whether or not they'd receive the Holy Spirit. And these new believers hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And you can just see this cool desire within them that I hope that you and I would have too. And so in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7, it says this, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we've not so much as heard that whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what, uh, what then were you baptized? So they then said, into John's baptism. So they'd been baptized in water. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is on Jesus Christ, on Christ Jesus. Um, verse 5, when they had heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when, when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. Isn't that kind of this neat story, this picture of this hunger, of this desire of these new believers to have all that God so desired for them to have? Um, they did not get into theological debate. They probably didn't even know enough to get into theological debate. But what there was, was a hunger. There was a desire for God. They had become believers. They had become saved. They had repented of their sins. The, they had been baptized in water. Now, Paul says, have you received everything that God's got for you? Have you received the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And they said, we haven't even heard of it. And there was this openness. And as soon as Paul laid hands on him, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they um, prophesied and they spoke in other tongues. Pretty neat story. And I want to walk from that story saying, Lord, I want that same desire that you would give me everything that you want. Everything that you want from me. Everything that you want through me. Everything that you want in me. That's the desire that the Lord looks for. 
The, other, the next thing I want to talk about is pursue the gifts of the Holy Spirit with love. Pursue the gifts of the Holy Spirit with love. We talked about with desire. Now we're going to talk about with love. So, you know, the order of the, the, that the chapters come in is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We really get this description about the spiritual gifts, the order in the body, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And then he moves on to this next big theme. And it's a chapter that probably you've heard of many, many times before. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. We talk about that uh, idea of love. Well, it, so we have desire in chapter 12. In chapter 13, we have love. And in 14, we're going to get to the last part of this thing, um, which is order. And so in chapter 13, we find the passage, love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't boast, you know, it doesn't keep record of wrongs, all of those things about love. And we love to put them in, you know, weddings and, you know, places where we describe uh, relationships and everything. But really, this isn't a wedding passage, but rather it's a gifts of the Holy Spirit passage. You see right in the middle of, of Paul's talk in chapter 12 on desire the gifts and the way it's ordered in the body. And then right um, when he starts talking about about how it should really be handled in the church, he's got this chapter on love. Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit need to be pursued with love as our high goal. 1 Corinthians 12, at the very last verse of chapter 12, it says, and now I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Here's the gifts of the Spirit. Now I'm going to show you the excellent way to deal with it. And so then he gets into love. So what does the first few verses says? 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 says, though I speak with a tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all the faith so that I can remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing." And then he goes on, love is patient, kind, and all the descriptions of love. So what we find here is this amazing description that if we have all of this faith, if we've got all of these talents, and we have all of this heart, we have all of this sacrifice, we do all these things for God, and yet somehow we miss this very important component of love, we, it might as well be for nothing. It doesn't matter how big your faith is. It doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how much you, uh, you, know, you do for God. If you miss love as your only main driving force, it is for nothing. It is useless. It is pointless. All of God's gifting in your life is for nothing if it doesn't have love. 1 Corinthians 13, jumping to verse 13, it says, And now abide faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Love is at the center of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I've been in far too many settings where it was about something else. You see, love is, is the same thing in my mind. When I'm thinking about our church, when I'm thinking about my own gifts of the Holy Spirit, Love is making the gifts you have receivable. 
You see, it's all about the person that you're ministering to. It's all about the person you're prophesying over or the group you're prophesying over. It's all about the person you're praying for and believing for a miracle or healing. It's all about them. So it's so important that when we are operating with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that it is about the person. And how do we make what we're saying or what we're doing receivable? Humility is so important. When I want to receive something, when I'm hearing someone talk, when I'm hearing someone prophesy, if it if it's if it's covered in humility, I can hear it. I can receive it. But when it's prideful, when it's filled with pride, when I can tell it's about them rather than me, the person who's receiving this gift or this ministry, I don't really want anything to do with it. It's hard to hear things given in pride. So there's no need to add things to what God's telling you to say. You don't need to say, thus saith the Lord. You do not need to say um, and make a big, huge thing in order to convince someone that what you're about to do is from God. Because here's the thing. God and what he's saying is enough. What he's giving you to say is enough. You do not need to couch it in something bigger than simply what God is saying. Because God will take care of convincing the heart that it's Him speaking. You see, more than likely, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are really there to confirm what God's already doing. You see, God's already gone ahead of you. He's already tilled up the ground in the person's heart. He's already prepped the soil for your gift to come in and to confirm what God is already speaking. And it comes in to confirm what the Word of God has already said. And so you do not need to do anything more than just say or do what God asked you to do. Except for I've been in way too many settings where the people that begin to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit feel like they need to add their own platform, their own couching, their own putting it in context that this is from God. And my friends, I think that that ends up turning more people off and people can't hear, people can't receive what God wants to say to them. And you know what? Sometimes the private is more powerful than the public. Um, sometimes God's given you a word and it's so important that we bathe that in prayer. We ask that the Lord would give us discernment that we would give it to the right person in the right way. Sometimes it's for the whole group. Sometimes it is. And I pray for more and more of that to happen in our own church setting. But sometimes God wants for you to share it privately. Both are good. Public and private use of the gifts of the Spirit are important. But it's really important that you, as the one who's operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, do it with love and do it in the appropriate context. And one of the things I want to ask you to do is to... Ask the Lord to make it as receivable as possible. How do I make this gift, this message, this action as receivable as possible? Some people might look at me and my ministry and go, Pastor Joe, I don't really see you operating in the gifts of the Spirit very much. I don't see you prophesying and stuff. Well, here's the thing. I, I think that God would have for us to be loving and approachable. And there's going to be words that come out of your mouth at different times at just the right way and just the right setting that people can hear what you have to say. 
And so I feel like sometimes when I'm operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it probably doesn't look like some of the Pentecostal church meetings that some of us have been in, but it might look a little bit different. And that's exactly, I think, what God wants is for this to be um, somehow conveyed in love and in a receivable way. Now, chapter 14 gets into this third aspect of how we pursue the gifts of the Spirit. And that is this, pursue the gifts of the Spirit with order. We've talked about pursuing the gifts with desire. We've talked about pursuing the gifts with love. And now Paul gives this description of how do we pursue the gifts with order? Well, let's begin in chapter 14, verses one through four. It says, pursue love. We just got done with the love chapter, pursue love and desire for spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets what, that the church may receive edification. So here we find him starting out kind of delineating between the gift of, uh, of a prophecy given in a language that people understand versus a message that's given in tongues or in a language that's not understood by those who are there. So, um, this message in tongues. And it goes on to explain that those who are hear something spoken in a way they can understand it are edified, where those who hear something they don't understand are not really edified. Um, so here he's kind of setting this, this, this stage for speaking in tongues and prophesying. And really, he really talks about making sure sure that things are done in a receivable way is what he's talking about. Now, I want to jump to verses 26 through 33, and it says, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, which he said, this is a good thing. But let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, but that all men may learn and all may be encouraged and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets for God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all the churches of the saints so there's a lot in this little passage of scripture that we can gain about letting um, one speak at a time so that we can gain all that God's speaking through the various gifts of the Holy Spirit one at a time um, he talks about us having the ability to judge whether what we're hearing is from God or not. So he says, let the prophets be subject to the prophets or to the other gifted individuals there in that setting. Um, and so um, if someone is saying something that really doesn't set well with the spirit of those that are there, or if something doesn't line up with scripture very well, then we've got to have the humility within ourselves and then the boldness to be able to correct one another when something's getting out of line, when something's not lined up. 
And that can easily happen when our flesh and our emotions are involved. And here I love it says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. You see, the Lord wants to convey his work and his ministry without confusion. But I have been in plenty of Pentecostal environments where there's more confusion than there is peace or edification. And I would like for us to have this desire and this order put in place that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have their freedom, that we're hearing from God and that we've come together with the desire that people have come to contribute, but that there is a sense of order, there's a sense of love um, in all that's being done and said. So then he, he really does kind of talk about tongues and tongues gets a lot of instruction here. Um, tongues being this language. And there's a distinction that I find in the scripture, especially in 1 Corinthians 14, but in other verses of a distinction between a personal prayer language, the gift of praying in tongues and the gift of speaking in tongues. And we haven't find that written about here. And I'm going to read in, in 1 Corinthians 14 verses 13 through 19. It says, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. He who speaks in a tongue that he may interpret. For, I, if, for if I pray in a tongue, did you notice the difference? The first one was speaking in a tongue versus praying in a tongue. The first one, speaking in a tongue, um, is referring to a message given to the church or to someone. Whereas praying in tongue is a private work of the Holy Spirit between the believer and God himself. So if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the spirit. I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place um, of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the others not edified. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Paul says that. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So what we find here is there's a distinction between a prayer language. Paul says, I pray in tongues more than you all. But he says that when he comes together in the church, he would rather that we uh, prophesy or we speak in a language that people understand because they're where to edify each other. That when someone does have a message or a speaking in tongues in a public way, that it must be interpreted so that it can edify and encourage and can be received. So praying in the spirit or praying in tongues is a private prayer language. We, we read about this when Paul wrote to Rome, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how we should pray um, as we ought. But the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You see, in that passage of scripture, we find here that Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit will pray in those moments that we do not know how to pray. It's a wonderful gift. I can't imagine going through life without this prayer language when I can pray and trust that the Holy Spirit will pray the perfect prayer when I do not know how to pray. That's a, an amazing gift. But the gift of speaking in tongues is one that's got some real rules about how it's operated and used in the church. Speaking in the spirit or speaking in tongues is a public exhortation that must be interpreted.
The bottom line to all that Paul is saying to us is that love and order makes the gifts of the Holy Spirit receivable. So, you know, that's our challenge to walk in with this heart and this desire that God would use us. I want a church where the Holy Spirit is free to minister exactly as he wants. And you know what's going to happen as he does that? People are going to receive what God has to say. There are going to be miracles that happen. There's going to be people healed. There's going to be people that experience um, God's intervention in their lives. We want all of that to happen. We want people to leave encouraged. If there's people that need to be corrected, we want for the Holy Spirit to do the correction not the flesh and not our own judgment, but rather God's spirit to do that. We want all of that to happen, but it will happen if things are done with love and with order. And that's our heart's desire. Um, if you have questions about how to handle things within your church, I want to encourage you to go to the leaders in your church. Go to the pastors in your church and say, I really believe God's got this gift for me to use. How's the best way for that to be utilized? How's the best way for it to be shared? So here's the conclusion that I want for you to hear. And it's really a question that you can ask. Where is your desire for God's special work in your life? Have you been desiring that God's Holy Spirit would use you? Have you been desiring that the things that God gives you to do would be receivable and would be a blessing? And that's the way I want to pray today. You maybe want to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're like that group of people that Paul was talking about in Acts chapter 19, and they didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. They didn't know that there was the special work that God wanted to do in your life. And maybe today you're saying, Lord, I want that. I want all that you've got for me. I want to be used by you. I want to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. Would that be your prayer today? Seek the Lord today. Seek him while he may be found and he will fill you. I believe he will. And he will use you and you offer your heart. You say, Lord, I want this to be used in love. I want it to be used in order. I want it to be biblical. I want it to be done just the way you want it to be done. And it will be special. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the way your word is clear about how you want to work in and through your people. And Lord, I pray that you would give each and every one of us a desire to be used by you, that we would make ourselves available to you, Lord, that we would so desire the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. You said when you were getting ready, Lord Jesus, to leave this earth, that when you would leave, the Holy Spirit would come, that he would empower us, that we would be in dude with power from on high. And Lord, not that we could walk around like superheroes, but that we could walk around and minister to people in love, in ways, oh Lord, that they can receive and their lives could be transformed. Lord God, so we ask for your Holy Spirit. Those, Lord, right now who are asking for the first time to be filled with your Holy Spirit, I pray right now in this moment, Lord, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit, that you would give them the gift of, of, of the Holy Spirit, that they would begin to speak in tongues with that personal private prayer language, even today, Lord God. I pray that they would also get this sense, O oh Lord, as to how to use the gifts that you give them, that you would empower them, Lord, just the way your word says. And Lord, I pray for our church and I pray for any churches represented here right now, Lord God, that you would allow love and order to be that which would rule um, our hearts 
in the way, Lord, our gifts, our Holy Spirit gifts would be used. And Jesus, we just uh, ask a special covering over the people we minister to, Lord, that they would be prepped soil, that they would be ready, O oh Lord, to hear um, exactly what you want to speak to them. And so, Lord, we just commit ourselves to this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.